put together that little video with some help from some online resources, but the reason I did it was because, uh, like I said, I am preaching on the image of God today, and I feel like it's very, very important to set the stage. And normally when I preach, I like to begin with an introduction uh, to set kind of the trajectory of the sermon and then read the scriptures and get right into it. But I wanted to start with that video today um, and then read the scripture. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, we're going to be in the book of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. And if you're at home watching online or or you don't have your Bible nearby, or perhaps you forgot to bring it to the house of the Lord today, uh, it should be on the screen for you as we read. And so it's Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. And if you're able, please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Shoot, I don't know, church, either I'm saying something wrong or saying something right. Just about everything's going wrong today. <laughs> Chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Pray with me, church. Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to be here. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you are a great God of mercy and grace and that we are created in your image. Lord, I just pray now that you would uh, still us, that you would still our mind and our souls, that you would give us peace. Father, that we would uh, look to you, Lord, for truth for redemption and restoration, and Father, that we would see, hopefully through the few words I share today, how important your image is to you and how we are to take that so seriously. God, I just pray the desire of my heart to see God magnified, Jesus Christ magnified, and God, I pray that your spirit would sanctify us. Lord, I pray that we would be focused on the cross, nothing more, nothing less. We ask this now in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Now, it may be plausible that you're thinking, Pastor, we've heard this all before. We know we're made in the image of God. Well, hang on a minute and bear with me. Let me share just a few things. Yes, we are made in the image of God, as these verses clearly say. And this, and only this, is the reason everyone, yes, I said everyone, is deserving of dignity and respect. Say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, what about the guy that cut me off and almost caused a wreck? Yes, even him. Hold on a minute, Pastor. What about the people that slander and gossip about me and lie about me? Even they are deserving of dignity and respect. Pastor, surely you can't mean the drug addicts and alcoholics, can you? Absolutely. Dignity and respect. But Pastor, what about those people burning down cities across America? What about those people killing Christians in other countries? 
Yes, everyone deserves dignity and respect because they're made in the image of God. But let me just add a quick caveat. Just as God has promised us and everybody else, if we do break His law and do not repent, we are all deserving of justice and we will get it either in this life or the next. But God reminds us that He will repay. He will leave wrath for God because He will repay. Vengeance is His alone. But what does it mean to be made in the image of God? There are a few things we can see from this text here, and I hope I can show those to you. I mean, this is such a short passage, but we could be on it for days. But given the time frames we had today and the unique situation we find ourselves in, which is the year 2020, I just want to look at three very important things that I think um, fit together and really, really show the image of God. And for that reason, I've titled this sermon, How to Kill the Family, Burn Down the Church, and Destroy Society. I know you're thinking, wow, pastor, that's kind of harsh. And it is. But church, it's the current state of affairs in this country and in the world, and it has been some time for, the, or for some time in the West. But these three institutions are made up of individuals who are made in the image of God. They bear in their person, in the very breath that they breathe, in their essence, and who they are, they bear the image of God. All of us do. And when we separate or kill the image of God for family, we kill the family. When we separate the image of God or kill the image of God from church, we burn it down. I'm not saying physically, stay with me. And when we kill the image of God or remove it from society, we destroy society. Now you may be saying, well, Pastor, how do we separate the image of God from family? Glad you asked. The family is the very representation of the Trinity. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, just in these few verses, we see that the God of glory, of majesty and power, and of perfection created human beings in his image. Have we ever stopped to think about how much of an act of grace that is? In the image of a triune, that's three persons, one God, he created us. God has perfect love, community, and unity within the Trinity. He did not create us because he needed us. God did not create us just so that he would have somebody to love and tell him how amazingly awesome he is. In fact, if that's the God anybody worships, I feel sorry not only for them, but their God, because that's a very small, petty God. The living God, the one and only God, the God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he created us from the overabundance of, in the immeasurable magnitude of his overflowing love. This is why he created us. In the act of creating us, he showed us great grace. And I don't know if you were here with us a couple of weeks ago, but Tom had mentioned that grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but we got it. And that's what God did. But he didn't just speak us into existence like he did everything else from day one to day six, did he? He fashioned us. He was intimate with us. He fashioned us together in his image, and then he breathed his very breath. In fact, the same word that is referenced in the New Testament when it says all scriptures, God breathed or breathed out by God, this is the same thing he's talking about. He breathed his very breath, his wondrous and awesome spirit of life into Adam, and he became a living soul. And the very breath you and I breathe is only possible because it came from the God of the universe. And James talks about how we abuse this, and we'll get to that later in just a moment. 
the pinnacle. God creates man. The pinnacle, that is the tippy top of his creation. He creates them male and female. You say, uh-oh, pastor, that's an intolerant thing to say. Don't you know there's more than two genders? No, no, there's not. Scripture is very clear on this. Very clear. It's very concise. You say, well, people might not like you for saying that. I don't care. I'm not trying to be rude or arrogant. I'm just saying that it don't matter to me if people don't like me for telling the truth. You see, let me, let me just share something real quick here. God is not pleased with professional sugar coaters. He's not pleased with professional beat around the bushers. Okay? God is delighted in those who share the truth, God-honoring, God-serving truth-telling Christians who do so out of love for lost souls in humility, not out of arrogance and pride, but because we know the eternal destination for those that do not repent, because they're all made in the image of God. This is what the disciples and Paul prayed for multiple times. Pray for us that we might have boldness to share the truth, even though they're being persecuted. The scripture says God created man and woman. God institutes marriage. Yeah, excuse me. God institutes marriage and says, multiply, multiply. Have children because they are a blessing from the Lord. Have a family and display my glory all over the world. Raise up generations and generations of God worshipers. Raise up sons and daughters who will serve and love the Lord and who will also raise up sons and daughters who will serve and love the Lord. Why? Because to be made in the image of God and culminate or come together in the one flesh union and bring about a child also made in the image of God into this world is to display the glory of God. In one of the Westminster Catechism, one of the questions is this, and if you're not familiar with the Catechism, it's just basic scriptural truths that they put them in question and answer format so they're easy to remember. It says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So you have the husband made in the image of God, the wife made in the image of God, come together in holy matrimony before God and bring into the world a child also made in the image of God. And I want everyone to hear me on this, those listening online, whether you're on the radio or watching or in the building. Every child, yes, every child is worthy of life. I don't care... I don't care what craptastic stuff society says. Every child is worthy of life. I know, I make up words, I'm sorry. Every single child, regardless, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Every child is worthy of life. And all of this is to display the glory of God throughout his whole creation. That was the purpose of creating mankind in his image. And this is a beautiful representation of the Trinity. And what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Everything. Everything. If you still don't quite understand... Thank you, buddy. It's probably because I'm nervous, but it is a little warm, right? (laughs) If we don't still quite understand what it means to be made in the image of God, let me read to you Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. This is God speaking. 
Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. You see, when life is taken, it's not just an assault on that person, it's an assault on God. When murder takes place, it's attempted murder against the Lord. See, God is zealous for his glory and his image. And we as a people, at one time, used to be zealous for the same things God was, but something happened, didn't it? Somewhere along the way, we decided to kill the family. Worse than that, we killed the image of God. Like a spider in the kitchen, we smashed it out of our lives. And somewhere along the way, we decided that like Adam and Eve, we knew better than God. We decided that we would throw off the yoke of the Creator and live life loose and free, didn't we? Sounded great, didn't it? Be your own God, live how you want, do what you want, with whoever you want, whenever you want. Because there's no God, you're not really created in His image. But then came the consequences of that lifestyle. Then came the fruit of our selfish endeavors. Because fruit can be good or bad. And then we saw the horror of what it truly meant to forsake the image of God upon the family unit. We've destroyed the sanctity of life. We've destroyed it since 1973, 60 plus million babies, gone. Those could have been the next greats, fill in the blank, gone. We legalized the mass murder of children. And I know this is a heavy topic, church. But it's a ritualistic sacrifice of our children, and we've devalued the blessing that they truly are. It, it's a baby. Boy or girl, there's a baby in there. It's not a clump of cells. It's a baby. In church, I need. <laughs> I don't care how many times, and I'm going to be honest, and I and I hope y'all appreciate that and be honest with yourselves, especially if you have kids, big or small, out of the house or in the house, grandbabies, whatever. I'm going to be honest. I don't care how many times I feel like my kids are agitating or annoying me. Here's the truth. The reason I feel that way is because I'm selfish and sinful. But every time I look at them, I see in them my need to be a better father. I see my need for a savior who's willing to swoop down and pull me out of the way for the cross and give himself so that I can do better, that I can love and worship him. I can raise my children in the fear and instruction of the Lord and not be a crappy dad. Even though, guess what, folks? I'm not perfect. I fall short all the time. If you want to ask them, they'd be happy to tell you, I'm sure. (laughs) But we destroyed the sanctity of life. We destroyed it. Children, children who are made in God's image should not be considered a byproduct. They should not be considered a convenience or some kind of accessory you add on. Oh, it's a great child you got there. It matches your outfit. Where'd you get it? It, No, the sanctity of life is that every person, big or small, is created in the image of God. And because of that, they are valuable. They are priceless. But we've turned children into a commodity or a consumer product. Because you can live life loose and free, do whatever you want, and if there's any problems, just go visit the local clinic. I wonder though, do we ever stop to take a look at what God says about this? Well, we're going to. 
Leviticus 18. You shall not give any of your child or any of your offspring to offer them to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 12. You should not behave thus toward the Lord your God for every abominable act which the Lord hates that they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. 2 Kings. Then he took his oldest son who was to reign in his place and offered him as a burnt offering on the wall and there came great wrath against Israel and they departed from him. 2 Kings 16. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel and even made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. Psalm 106. And shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was polluted with the blood. Jeremiah 7. For the sons of Judah have done that which is evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house which is called by my name to defile it. They have built the high places of Topeth, which is the valley of the sons of Himam, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire. Here it is. Which I did not command, and it did not enter into my mind. Ezekiel 16. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters whom you had born to me and sacrificed them to idols to be devoured. Were your harlotry so small a matter? You slaughtered my children and offered them up to the idols by causing them to pass through the fire. Last one, 18, Matthew 18. We love this verse. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. That's how important God's image is to him. If you cause anybody to stumble, especially a child, God says throw a millstone around them and toss them in the ocean. Millstones were almost 100 pounds. You're not swimming up from that. It's serious. But what's happened with this shift in mindset is that we've removed the image of God from children. We have told them they're not precious and priceless, that they are not made in the image of a God who promised to never leave them or forsake them. And this has devalued children so much so that spinning false narratives on the media is more important than reporting on the sex trafficking that's going on with our children. You know how many rings they busted over the last couple of months? But you didn't see it in the media because it doesn't fit the narrative. Hate the president. Who cares what's going on with the kids? Because we've devalued children and we've devalued the marital union God gave us, because of the abortion and the crazy concept of live how you want, do what you want, whoever you want, we've cheapened the one flesh union. God said it should only take place in the confines of a one man, one woman marital union. And because we have so devalued children and the marital union, we have opened the floodgates to every kind of imaginable lifestyle. People have invented ways of sinning against God. Instead of the marital union that he says will bring him glory, we've seen every possible alternative come to light and be celebrated. In 2004 and then in 2015, it was widespread adoption of legalization of same-sex marriage. Let me just stop here and make a quick, quick point here. Abortion, same-sex marriage, uh, stealing, cheating, whatever it is, they're all sins and we're all guilty. These are not unpardonable. Jesus said the only unpardonable sin was blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe, you can't be forgiven. So hear me. If you're struggling with any of this, don't say, well, pastor's just beating me up. I'm not. I'm just showing you how 
great a thing it is to be created in the image of God and to live life according to his rules and statutes and commandments. Jesus Christ cleansed you, will cleanse you from sin. It says in 1 John, he's faithful and just if we repent and confess our sins. He's faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins in all unrighteousness. So please hear me. But because of all those things, a family unit is no longer a family unit. It's no longer the way it was instituted in the beginning. It was no longer a man and a woman raising up children unto the Lord. Now you have advocates fighting to legalize polygamy. You have advocates fighting to rid us of a social construct of age. Age is just a number, right? Love knows no bounds. Hogwash, that's a clean word. <laughs> Hogwash. Absolutely. We've devalued and killed the value and worth of the family through the LGBTQ lifestyle, through adultery, through polygamy, and through the objectification of our children. We've devalued marriage through self-righteousness and pride and arrogance and an unwillingness for me and for you to assume the worst about myself and the best about my spouse. Usually it's the other way around, isn't it? If they would just, then I would. God says, how about you worry about yourself and then everything else will go according to plan. We've forsaken the image of God in the family and it's killed the family. And hopefully we're sitting here going, well, how do we breathe life back into the family, which was once the foundational bedrock of all of society. You look throughout history, it's always been the family. Get back to God. I know you're going, well, duh, pastor. Tell us something we don't know. Hang on with me for a moment. I want to read you something. A while ago, I was actually, I found myself staring at these words, and I thought to myself, Wow. Does the church even believe this anymore? Does Midway even believe this anymore? Here's what it said. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotions to religiously educate our children to seek the salvation of our kindred. Does anybody know where that comes from? It's a church covenant hanging in the old sanctuary and right outside those doors right there. Real quick, I want to share with you what happens when our children, with our children, when we kill the family, or by sharing some st statistics. And I know statistics aren't everything. They're like a good proverb, mostly true, but not 100% of the time. But I can attest to about six of these myself on a personal level. All of these are prefaced with children who live without a father in the home or a single parent home. Say, I know, I know, Pastor, in our postmodern feminist society, a woman can do anything a man can do. Shame on you. Hear me. I'm not contesting that. We could spend a whole other two hours on that subject. The fact of the matter is that God created things a certain way because he wanted it that way, and things just typically go better when we do things his way. That's all I'm saying. Scripture attests to that time and time again. Four times greater risk of poverty. More likely to have behavioral problems, 85% of children with behavioral disorders. Seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. More likely to face child abuse, two times greater risk of infant mortality. More likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. More likely to go to prison. 85% of prisoners they've talked to come from homes where, where there's no father engaged. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that the father's physically gone. It, they could be there. They could just, like me, before God smacked me around, I wasn't engaged. I wasn't doing anything. 
85% of prisoners, two times more likely to suffer obesity, more likely to commit crime, two times likely to drop out of high school. 90% of homeless and runaways come from fatherless homes and 63% of suicides. And as I've said, church, I know statistics are not everything, but time and time again, they prove more true, especially as we continue to move forward through history. And church, you know how to fix this, is it takes work. But the only way to breathe life back into the family unit, which again, research has shown time and time again to be the foundational bedrock of society and the church, is to get back to God. And Isaac tells us something very important when he asks his father, Abraham, just a simple question. And you all know the story. They're going, right? Abraham and his son is going to make the sacrifice. Abraham has been commanded by God to sacrifice Isaac, his only son. Isaac's just going along because apparently his dad didn't share that part with him because he probably wouldn't have went. <laughs> but he stops and he says, I, it says, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I know you're saying, well, big deal, pastor. What's the point? Well, only this. How do you think Isaac knew they needed a lamb for a burnt offering? How did he know they needed wood and fire, but they still didn't have what they needed, the lamb? It's because Abraham, his father, would have shown him, would have raised him up in the discipline and instruction of the... Wait a second. Discipline and instruction of the Lord and not the academic and athletic success of the world. He knew because his father taught him. I didn't have that luxury. He had taken his son with him to make offering to the Lord. Abraham showed his son what it was to serve, worship, and love the Lord, both in word and deed. So, you know, I, I say this a lot, but do as I say, not as I do, doesn't work. Okay? It doesn't. I know, because I did what I saw, not what I was told. <laughs> But it takes work and it takes effort. See, it takes sacrifice. And those are three things we'd rather do without because we want to keep our comfort and convenience. But we will put forth effort, hard work, and sacrifice to find success in the world, won't we? In our job, in our athletics, in our academics. And the Bible says those things will burn up in the end. If you want to revive the family... Make God the pillar in which you build your home because when we kill the image of God, we kill the family. And it just snowballs from there. The second thing I want us to look at is how to burn down the church. And I know a lot of you are going, oh! not physically. Although some people are doing that across this nation and the world. But when we kill the image of God, we burn down the church. And you say, well, pastor, how can the church represent the image of God? Well, the church is made up of what? Everybody, right? Everybody that's made in the image of God. We commune together at a central location to worship and adore the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, right? The church was redeemed by God through Jesus' blood. Jesus became, or Jesus, because God is zealous for his image, his glory, and is a just God, he had to punish sin to redeem us. The church is the body of Christ, who is in fact, he made all things. And as the bride of Christ, we're to stand unified in the cause of the gospel under the authority of God and the power of the Spirit so that we can impact society. But just as with the family, something went wrong along the way with the church, didn't it? 
The biggest problems we have in the church are unrepentant and unconfessed sin, which leads to all manner of problems. But at the forefront of every issue in the church is such a small object, I think that we scarcely pay it attention. Here's what James says about it. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very word of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as which defiles the entire body. Thank you. Appreciate that. And sets fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and been tamed by mankind or the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Do you know what burns down the church? James just told us. It's those that would hold the claims of godliness but are far from them in their heart. Those that would work iniquity within the church. Those who slander their brothers and sisters in the very same breath that God gave them. James speaks of those who create division and destroy unity. How is this all done? James said it. The tongue, even though it's the smallest part of our body, is the biggest problem we have. When we forget that everyone is made in the image of God and deserving of dignity and respect, we burn down the church. We become little fire starters. But this is not the only way we burn down the church, is it? We've all but forsaken the gathering together of the saints. We've given up on true biblical community. Ask yourself, when's the last time you made time for fellowship in your home with other believers? I mean biblical fellowship, where you break open the bread of life, maybe the bread from the kitchen too, but the bread of life to discuss the things of God. The American Christian has punched their Sunday, Wednesday ticket, but now they scarcely punch their Sunday ticket. Say, well, Lord, I just don't know. There's a virus. What? Vacation? You bet. Walmart? No problem. Out to eat restauranting? Absolutely. Pastor's going to get in trouble. The truth of the matter is, church, we've let the things of the world seep in our doors. And you know, this is how Satan works, right? You know he never just kicks in the door and he's like, hey, you want to send your wicked little heart out? No. Because if he did that, we'd be like, hmm, I don't think so. He's subtle. A little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. A pastor, a pastor we sit under in Raleigh, he told us, you know, thoughts are like sitting in a boat on the ocean. It's real comfy, relaxing, but as the waves lap against the side of the boat, if you don't do something to take care of it right when it hits, eventually you're out in the middle of the ocean and you have no way back. It's subtle, a little bit at a time. My wife said this to me one day. She's so smart. <laughs> she said, the church should acclimate, not assimilate. Here's the difference. Acclimate means to become accustomed to a new climate or conditions. Maybe you move somewhere, you grow accustomed to life as it happens. Assimilate means to resemble something or be likened to something. This is like being of the world. In church, we've assimilated instead of acclimating. 
There's so much bitterness and gossip and slander, sin, disobedience and disunity in the American church that we've lost almost all credibility with society. If we don't look different more than just on Sunday, what are they going to care with what we have to offer? What are they going to care about this Jesus? To be the bride of Christ is to be adorned with beauty, grace, and to represent the holiness of God. Instead, we have adorned ourselves with anger and malice and represent the hopelessness of the world. And I need to repent of this myself. Social media, that'll kill you, right? Amen? Um, I've had to step back and say, you know what? I don't care what I read. I'm not sharing anything unless it's godly and uplifting in the truth. Because the more I share, the more we share of things that are not godly and uplifting, the more we're just fanning flames. Let me tell you a short story real quick. Um, maybe you've heard it. So a lady went to her pastor and said, Pastor, I won't be going to your church anymore. Pastor responded, but why? The lady said, ah, I saw a woman gossiping about another member, a man that is a hypocrite, the worship team living wrong, people looking at their phone during service, among so many, so many other things wrong with your church. Pastor replied, okay, but before you do, do me a favor. Take a full glass of water and walk around the church three times without spilling a drop on the ground. Afterwards, leave the church if you desire. The lady thought, too easy. She walked three times around the church as the pastor had asked. And when she finished, she told the pastor she was ready to leave. The pastor said, before you leave, I want to ask you one more question. When you were walking around the church, did you see anyone gossiping? The lady replied, no. Did you see any hypocrites? No. Anyone looking at their phone? No. You know why? No. You were focused on the glass to make sure you didn't stumble and spill any water. It's the same with your life. When we keep our eyes on Jesus, we don't have time to see the mistakes of others. We'll reach out a helping hand to them and concentrate on our own walk before the Lord. What's the point? Only this. When you spend your time focused on others just so you can point out what they do wrong or slander them or gossip to elevate yourself above others, or you trash others just so you can put your thumbs in your proverbial straps and say, thank goodness I'm not like them, like the Pharisee did, You're killing the image of God, and when you do that to the church, you burn it down. I ask my kids this question all the time, so I'm going to ask you. Not that imply we're all children, but just a simple question. When it comes to who you are in Christ, when it comes to who you are as a church member in the body of Christ, when it comes to what you do, what you say, even how you think, whether it's at your church, your job, in the community, when it comes to who you are behind closed doors, when no one is watching, when we really get down to the truth of who you are, are you helping or hurting the kingdom? Are you grabbing the water hose or fanning the flames? Are you lifting a hand to help your fellow brother and sister in Christ? Are you looking for ways to grow the kingdom of the glory of the Lord? Are you so focused on Jesus in your own walk that nothing else matters? Or are you too busy looking for the matches? You know what Alfred said to Batman about the Joker? So, oh my goodness, really passed. 
He said some men just like to watch the world burn. I would say that some people just like to watch the church burn spiritually. All it takes is one joker. One person who kills the image of God to burn down the church. Are you that joker? Paul said this in 1 Corinthians, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. So how do you put out the flames of dissension, discord, and disunity in the church? Instead of carrying around a glass of water and hoping you don't spill anything, how about you carry around your Bible and read it? That's how we put out the fires within the church. Look, devotions are great. Biblical help books or, or, or Christian help books are great. But God never told us to pick up a devotion or a Jesus calling or one of those Christian self-help books and, and that'll make you more like him. He never said that. Here's what he said in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do according that all is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. The Bible. Focusing on the Bible and meditating on God's word day and night is a sure way to change us all into firefighters for the better. Because we're supposed to be a family. And I know family squabbles, but we have to be unified. And real quick, I'm going to share some research with you from a ministry called Back to the Bible. They actually did a, a report to see what Bible engagement looked like in America. They hired big, fancy, smart people to analyze all the data they got. And here's what they found. We're in, when we're in Scripture one time a week, and this includes on Sunday, this had a negligible effect in the key areas of life, relationships, etc. So basically, there was no change. When we're in the Scriptures two times a week, no significant change, nothing. Three times a week is where things started to change a little bit. Four times a week, the results spiked off the charts with, with significant change. Here's what they found. When people were in Scripture four times a week or more, they felt lonely, less, 30% less. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships, marriage, kids, etc. dropped 40%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. Sharing our faith increased 200%. Spending time in God's word will change you. Discipling others increased 230%. Four times or more a week. And you know how to extinguish the flames of the church before it burns down? Is read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. God promised that if we meditated on his word day and night that it would change us. He promised us that we would have success in the Christian life. He promised. And research has shown this to be true. Why are we not doing it? And if we are, great, keep doing it. But he never told us to go to the local bookstore and pick up a self-help book. Because we can't help ourselves. That's why Jesus had to die. If we could do it, we wouldn't need God. Last thing, and I'll move quickly. But let's take a few moments to note how the image of God is removed from society. Since 1962, the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled school-mandated prayers are unconstitutional. But they also ruled that voluntary prayers are unconstitutional. You know why? It makes people feel left out. Can't have that. Okay? 
Plus, they said that any mandated prayers, voluntary or otherwise, would be promoting the establishment of a religion. Now, church, I'm not a smart man, but follow me, if you will, for a moment down this rabbit hole. If mandating prayer in school is promoting the establishment of a religion, what do we call it when our kids are taught about Islam? Or the evolutionary theory of creation, which says that God didn't create? Do you know that is the establishment of a religion? And that's not the issue here. The establishment of a religion or promotion of religion is not the issue. It's what religion are we promoting or establishing that's the issue, and what God are they worshiping? Randall House put out a, a huge campaign over the last few years, books, resources, curriculum, all centered around a fraction for you math people. Are you ready for this? It was 1 over 68. They, found, they developed this fraction out of all the research they did. And the denominator, the 168 for you math folks, that represents how many hours are in the week. The 1, the numerator, represents the amount of time a child receives spiritual or biblical instruction, and that accounts for on Sunday. Again, not saying that's the norm for everybody. I'm just saying that if we want to know how to change the family, the church, and society, we have to understand that it has to come down to this. We have to read this, we have to teach this, and we have to make sure our kids are reading it and understanding it. But look at all the ways God's image has been removed from society. It's taken out of the courthouse. It's taken out of the schools. It's taken out of the family house, as I mentioned earlier. Unfortunately, we've seen that it's been taken out of the church house. Not here, but some places. It's taken out of the workplace. It's taken out of media. And then on a near constant basis, children are brought up to believe there's no God. There's no ultimate purpose to their life. They're only as necessary or as worthy as what they contribute to society. They're taught they're animals. They're taught that there's no absolutes, that they can do whatever they want. And if their parents disagree with them, then they'll just get somebody else to help them out that does agree with them. They're taught to believe in nothing, to do and try everything, to follow their heart, which the Bible says is desperately sick and wicked. And what happens, church? We see it all the time. What happens when some worn-out kid with no hope and nothing to lose shoots up a school or takes their life? I'm not saying us do this, but by and large, if you look at society, they say, oh my goodness, where did we go wrong? I don't understand what the problem is. There's no God, you're not worth or priceless and valuable, but we don't understand why they're acting this way. You're just an animal, as Steve said, from goo through the zoo to you, but we don't understand why they're acting this way. And because we've killed the image of God from the family house, the church house, society pays the consequences. We're supposed to rule over God's creation as good stewards of that which he gave us, displaying displaying his glory to the ends of the earth. We're supposed to proclaim the glory of the Lord across the land. But we've forsaken the image of God for a God that's made in the likeness of man, which is really the God of self. And because we have multiple generations raised in a world that has killed the image of God, they worship only that which appeals to their flesh. Don't like someone? Yell at them, call them names, shut them down. Forcibly if you have to. Don't like the system? Kill, steal, destroy, burn it down. They literally bite the hand that feeds and then blame the hand for being in the way of their teeth. No accountability, no responsibility. Pure and utter madness is the result 
And we're seeing that on a large scale here in America especially. And church, I'm glad you don't have rocks or tomatoes, but here's the ultimate truth, and it's a tough one. We can't blame them. Can't blame our politicians. Of course, they do some blatantly wicked stuff and are constantly trying to legislate immorality, but they're simply living consistently in their worldview and giving everybody else what they want. We have no one to blame but ourselves. I know some of us just pursed our lips and clamped our teeth and are saying, how dare you, Pastor? But you and I know the truth of it is that we're supposed to focus on ourselves and our own walk and spread the gospel, spread God. And when we don't stand in the gap for all these things that are happening in America, in our homes, in the church, in the schools, in society, that is what I, I'll agree with the BLM mantra, silence is violence, but only when you're not standing up for the things of God. We talk to our kids about this a lot too. I'm throwing them around a lot. I'm sorry, guys. But the only person that you and I can control, ourself. If you and I don't take seriously the command from God to raise a family in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, we kill the image of God from our house. When we don't take it seriously, the command to live in unity with our brothers and sisters in the church, we burn it down. And we can expect nothing different than what we're seeing going on in our country today. And hopefully we're asking ourselves, how do we fix it? Here's what Paul said in Romans. This is a tough one. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Because I think as Christians, we have, we have sat on the sidelines for too long. And this can only be done through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what God says is the power of God unto salvation. You can't change a heart through writing law. You can't force people to behave. If my kids, when they grow up and get out of my house... They're going to make their own decisions. Hopefully they're not going to go, well, dad's not here anymore. Mom's not here. I can do whatever I want. Hopefully they'll go, mom and dad said that their ultimate authority was the Lord and so was mine. And so would God approve of this? Because if there's no standard of measurement, everything is permissible. Everything. Jesus Christ must be the object of our worship and of our faith. Not worldliness, not materialism, not anything else, because none of that stuff matters. None of that stuff will save you. None of that stuff will save anybody else except for Jesus Christ. And we must take seriously, hear me, church, everyone is created in the image of God. Every single person. Everyone. I don't care what they do to you. Nobody will ever do to you as worse as what each and every one of us has already done to Jesus Christ. We have to make God's image the priority first in our house, then the church house, and in so doing, society will be impacted with the gospel. 
The church can once again lift up the Son of Man and draw all to himself. And make no mistake, church, if we do not take serious the image of God and what it means for the family and the church, society will continue to look with scorn and discontent upon the American church. Because when our house and the church house kills the image of God, society's going to care less what we're doing or what we have. Jesus has to be the object, the focal point. If there's no difference in how we live, how we treat one another, even in how we treat our enemies, then we're no better than them. And what benefit is that of us, Jesus said. You treat people nicely if they treat you nicely. What benefit is that? You only give with expectation of return. What benefit is that? Even the sinners and Gentiles did that, he said. Church, I hope we revive the image of God beginning first with our house and then the church house, and then and only then will society be impacted for the glory of the Lord. With that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to love you and serve you and to breathe the breath of life. Thank you, God, that you've given us forgiveness and that you've shed your blood so that we could repent and turn from our sins and turn to you for restoration and redemption. Lord, I just ask now that you would cause each and every one of us to walk with humility, with our focus on Jesus Christ. Lord, pray for each one of those that are here today under the sound of my voice, that you would show them how important they are to a holy God, so much so that you died for them. God, that you would help us look at everybody as made in the image of God, even when they do us wrong. Because there is no salvation in any other but Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, church. Um, I know Pastor Steve normally dismisses us a certain way, so I guess I need to do that as well. <laughs> um, I guess the middle section.